1: and i'm just a super nerd.
0: Hello Paleo View listeners. I am coming to you from Central Oregon and we're back. Hi
1: Sarah. I was going to ask like where so where 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 are you? My mom says hi by the way. She's been like like obsessively following your trip on social media and I was like oh mom you're, you're paying way closer attention than I am but then I get to just talk to you and like ask you all the questions personally so she doesn't get to she's just saying looks like an amazing trip she's like so jealous of all your family bonding and she wishes she was there and she hopes that you continue to have a fabulous time
0: oh thank you we had a really special like family walk after dinner yesterday because the Pacific Northwest the sun doesn't set until 9 p.m. It's crazy, mm-hmm. and so
1: we that's a- kind of where I grew up. So. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Got it's it.
0: new to me. So mm-hmm. after dinner, we had a ton of time, and we're staying in um, Black Butte, which is um, an area outside of Sisters, Oregon. So I don't know if people are familiar. I wasn't, but there's three mountains that are called the Sisters, N- and they're yeah breathtakingly stunning. It's insane. And is there also a butte?
1: Yes. So I we're in okay.
0: the, we're in the butte, which I don't even know what the butte is, but we're a in butte the Butte
1: is a flat topped mountain. Okay. So it's a mountain that doesn't have a point or a hill that doesn't have a point. So it's like a it looks like a hill except that it's just flat on the top.
0: Well that's that's that what must be what we're on. <laughs> <laughs> and the I don't know anything about geography. And we came in when it was dark. So we could tell that we were like on cliffs edges, but we couldn't actually see anything um, landscape wise. That's a bad time to go exploring. Yes, we didn't. We just stuck to the (laughs) map and and got here safely. Um, But last night after dinner, we did like a sunset walk through what's called the meadow here on the butte and the views of the sisters mountains was just like, take your breath away. Stunning. Mm-hmm. So my, my favorite thing um, so far in the trip has been like our, our sunsets together. Cause I just love West coast sunsets period. Yep. Like I'm just obsessed. <clears throat> so we've did a sunset on Alki beach um, outside of Seattle which was incredible. And then we did um, a sunset at the top of a crest in the city of Portland, which was incredible. And at that point, the boys on their own without my prompting, like stood with their arms around each other's shoulders and watched the sunset. And I was like, is this, is this real life? Is this happening? Are my boys talking to each other? Do they, are they spending bonding time? It's amazing. They're Um, like, they're like,
1: cuddling and not pinching each other at the same yes. time.
0: I'm like, where, when is wrestling going to happen? Cause usually <laughs> if something like that happens. It's to like, pretend to like each other so that they can get in closer for a punch or something, you know? Um, and then last night we did the meadow walking through, um, here in central Oregon. So my favorite parts have been the sunset, but We have done a ton of stuff and I am a little behind on social media, but I am taking pictures of everything and I am sharing and getting to things eventually, but I am also really living in the moment and Mm. trying to relax a little bit, which is part of what I need to do for my vacation. So um, yesterday I had plans to catch up and post photos and do all this stuff and I took a nap instead it was amazing
1: Ah, <laughs> so. uh, that sounds so many kinds of awesome
0: yeah yeah one of the things that I did before we left for the states was listen to a podcast on um, intuitive eating which is something I felt like I understood in concept, but I didn't realize that there was specific rules around very directed. This is what intuitive eating is. Um, And so this podcast kind of opened my eyes to that. And I wanted to share it with you because I had some concerns (laughs) to put lightly. And, I think it's important for us to address what those concepts are that are helpful and good when listening to your body and um, trying to embrace an, a non-diet culture, i.e. looking at being healthy long-term, looking at living a sustainable Life long term, not in a on again, off again diet roller coaster that we've talked about before. Um, but when it comes to listening to your body in terms of inflammation and lack of sleep and all of those kinds of things, it is really important to learn from that. And if you want health long term, to pay attention and Not continue down a path that negatively affects your health. Um, And so, if intuitively what you want to do is fall face first into a pizza buffet and eat donuts (laughs) all the time, that might be hard to also achieve long term health. And I wanted to discuss this in terms of um, neutrality when it comes to, you know, giving food positive and negative assignments and all that kind of stuff, and have the concepts that you and I talk about, Sarah, very often of we eat the way that we eat for long-term health. We nourish our bodies so that we can be healthy. We also understand that socially and emotionally food can drive humans, and there's nothing wrong with that so long as we're aware of what we're doing towards our long-term goal of health. And I think that we can apply that still when it comes to intuitive eating without kind of going over the edge, so to speak. Um, so I'm glad that when I shared it with you, you were also
1: like, oh, no,
0: <laughs> we need to, <laughs> We definitely need to talk about this. So that's what we're here to do today.
1: <laughs> yeah, when you – so I was also a person who um, didn't realize that – Intuitive eating was actually a anti diet framework. So for me, up until you brought this uh, podcast to my attention, which then led me into finding the like it's like it's just like a certified nutrition program that is like it, you can become an intuitive eating coach and like it's it's a whole thing. I prior to that discovery, I had equated the phrases intuitive eating. Mindful eating and like listening to your body, and I had um you know like many people, sort of use those phrases um interchangeably in order to talk about a concept that is really about body awareness and about um and, and some of this certainly is wrapped up into the intuitive eating anti diet, but it very much about you know being aware of hunger signals is, is, is certainly wrapped up into the, the, the more sort of official trademarked intuitive eating, but also, you know, things like joint pain, fatigue, right? Symptoms of food intolerance that are easy to ignore. Um, I had, um, somebody tell me, um, the other day, Oh, it was my chiropractor said, um, you know, I, I don't have very many clients who have as high a degree of body awareness as you have. Um, and it's in part something that's sort of hard earned, but it's, it's this practice of this whole, I think, um, mental health piece that for me has gone along with my paleo and AIP journey that has gotten me to a place where I really understand my body's signals and, When I've eaten something that is not working for me versus when I have everything dietary dialed in, uh, sleep, stress management, activity, if I've pushed too hard at the gym, if I'm really, really stressed. I feel the physical ramifications of those choices and sometimes external factors applied to my life. And I, up until this point, would have used words like, you know listening to your body signals, um, body awareness, intuitive eating interchangeably. Now that I understand that intuitive eating is its own thing, that there are people out there who that this is their approach to health and wellness, there are some things we need to clear up. There are some some very, very important (laughs) factual information that I need to communicate to the world because there are some things that are not right about this particular anti-diet framework, there's some things that I totally agree with. But there's some really, 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 really important pieces of factual science-based information that I really need to communicate urgently. I love that I got you all riled up. (laughs) But Uh,
0: (laughs) But first, before we do that, a word from our sponsor.
1: I super wish we had like, really cheesy ad copy to read right now because that's just what this moment feels like it needs. But we don't have that because we just love every Llewell. We just love that every Lowell makes, um, like at home lab testing so that you can do things like test your vitamin D levels or your inflammation levels. You can do a food sensitivity panel. You can test your, um, your stress hormone levels, how healthy your metabolism is, and it's all done at home. They're um, super high quality, certified labs. They go to great lengths to keep all of your test results private, and they're in many cases less expensive than a copay. So they're um, like the the super super awesome and handy. And I think we'll come to this by the end of the show. But also very relevant to this topic because I think what often drives the decision to take on a dietary strategy or anti-strategy is often driven by the need to troubleshoot uh, without the recognition that there's some common underlying um, situations that can be driving those symptoms or, say, driving uh, resistance to weight loss, for example. And so EverlyWell actually provides a huge range of different tests that can help hone in on what the sort of underlying situation is so that we can address that situation rather than going into one of two directions in terms of diet. The one direction that we've talked about in the podcast before, where we go like eliminate, eliminate, eliminate until I'm eating three different foods versus the intuitive eating of food doesn't matter. We'll just eat whatever. So I think Everly Well is awesome.
0: Listeners, if you want to check out Everly Well, you can go to everlywell.com slash the paleo view that's e-v-e-r-l-y well.com slash the paleo view and use code the paleo view for 15% off there's also all kinds of bundles and different things you can do there to get additional discounts as well if you'd like we did a previous podcast where everly well sponsored and we talked more in depth on their tests and we will put a link in the show notes if you want to check that out as well
1: So I think before I go on my soapbox about where intuitive eating has it extremely wrong, um, I I want to, without diving too much into their um, 10-point philosophy, I want to quote a little bit from, um, from intuitive eating's actual website in terms of how they describe what intuitive eating, the trademarked version of this, actually is. And so this is a direct quote. Uh, Intuitive eating is a non-diet approach to health and wellness that helps you tune into your body signals, break the cycle of chronic dieting, and heal your relationship with food. From a nutrition professional perspective, intuitive eating is a framework that helps us keep nutrition interventions behavior-focused instead of restriction or rule-focused. Intuitive eaters give themselves unconditional permission to eat whatever they want without feeling guilty. They rely on their internal hunger and satiety signals to trust their body to tell them when, what, and how much to eat. They know when they want to eat vegetables and also when they feel like having dessert and don't feel guilty or have any regrets with either choice.
0: So like you said, conceptually, I love the idea of intuitive eating The problem is that in uh, practice, (laughs) this can go terribly wrong for someone that is not yet in tune or, for example, one of the things that got me riled up, um, because I know you, you read that quote, but one of the things that got me up was this podcast that I was listening to. And the question came from someone saying that they were staying up too late, which was causing them to... Eat a later meal, causing them to feel lethargic and bloated, and the individual who was leading the podcast, which is one of these, you know, certified um, nutrition guru, was giving instructions to the listener who'd asked the question and said. Lethargic and bloated aren't words that the f- foods can make you feel. Those are sneaky diet culture words, and foods are simply energy in, energy out, and they can't contribute to you feeling bloated. Maybe it was because X, Y, or Z, other things having nothing to do with food, that caused that for you. The f- food is food. You eat it based on if you're hungry or not. It is It is not a negative thing. It cannot make you feel bad. And that was where I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm with you on the, you know, we need to learn to listen to our bodies and we need to not be on a diet roller coaster. but foods can contribute to how your body feels. And part of intuitive for me is learning those things, but that's not the definition, like you said, of this formal movement and program.
1: Yeah, I think, again, there's aspects of this that I wholeheartedly agree with. So, for example, behavioral modification is actually a really important aspect of successful weight loss maintenance. And there's a lot of studies to show that you can't just uh, throw someone on a diet and exercise program, no matter what it is, and expect them to be able to keep the weight off after losing it without addressing things like emotional health, um, behaviors associated with uh, food and lifestyle, right? So I... I wholeheartedly agree that addressing our relationship with food is part of healing. It's part of this journey towards health. Uh, Where I completely disagree is um, this idea that um, food cannot have a physical consequence for people. Uh, there is a ridiculously huge body of scientific literature that proves otherwise with mechanistic explanations. And this is beyond allergy. Like I'm, I'm sort of assuming that they accept that food allergy is like a, a thing that exists. Um, although I did not specifically find that in their 10 principles, um, But I'm going to make the assumption that they're not completely off the rails and that they recognize food allergy, but there are plenty of other ways that food can have negative physical consequences that are beyond allergy. And that can include things like Um, feeding the wrong strains of bacteria in the gut Um, that can include things like um, altering hormone systems, right? This is separate from food uh, allergy sensitivity and tolerance. There are plenty of suboptimal foods out there and foods that can have negative health consequences that would manifest as symptoms such as bloating and lethargy. That is like, this is a scientific fact. Again, It's just a little, anyway, the thing that I also, I I take real exception to in this is the idea, uh, you sort of tongue in cheek referred to it at the top of the show as if you intuitively fell face first into a pizza buffet. One of the, one of the implications of this is that people are giving themselves to permission Unconditional permission to eat whatever they want without feeling guilty, which includes this group of manufactured modern foods, and I I use the term foods here quite loosely, uh, that are scientifically referred to as hyperpalatable foods, which means they are so tasty that they trigger something called hedonic eating behaviors. So that is eating for pleasure. Um, And this is a very well-studied field of science. Um, Hyperpalatable foods are foods that typically contain uh, carbohydrates, fat, and some kind of uh, flavor enhancer, such as salt. So this is where the, the salt, sugar, fat, this is foods that are engineered to be so rewarding, and I mean rewarding as like a dopamine response to this food, that it it triggers a type of behavior called opportunistic overeating. So these these are foods that because of the neurotransmitter effect and the hormonal effect of consuming these typically nutrient-void foods that are designed to be hyperpalatable, it actually overrides our satiety signals. It makes it impossible for us to actually tell if we're full. So this, it's, these are foods that make, let's, let's call this mindful eating or listening to your body physiologically impossible because these are foods that override our ability to tell if we're hungry or not. And this is well-documented um, in uh, humans, in animal studies. There's uh, mechanisms looking at what's happening in terms of dopamine signaling, dopamine receptors in different areas of the brain, what's happening in terms of hunger hormones like neuropeptide Y. It, it's it's um, very well understood that these foods drive the overeating behaviors that are unhealthy so how can you behavior modify if you are continuing to give yourself unconditional permission to eat these foods that make it impossible for you to listen to your body and modify behavior
0: i think like a good example of that that most people can understand is your dessert stomach for example, mm-hmm. on Thanksgiving, people sit around, they're like, Oh my gosh, I'm so full. I couldn't eat a thing. And then the pie comes out, and you're like, Well,
1: I have room for a pie. <laughs> just a small quarter of that pie. Um yeah, and I or um, you know, there's even um there there's even like catchphrases for some of these foods right? I bet you can't eat just one, right? That are acknowledgements of the difficulty in actually portion control when you're eating foods that are are this flavorful like they, they're they're literally foods that are are designed to be um to be addictive and it's i'm i'm not a conspiracy theorist i, no, no, I don't no. like pe- people right? have this job this is a legit yeah. job at processed food companies Mm -hmm. and 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 I don't think the food companies are in cahoots with the whatever's and the I don't think I think they just want the market share right like if they make their food tastier we're gonna buy more
0: exactly they want to make the most tasty
1: tasty thing
0: so that the product next to it that has also been enhanced is not the thing that they buy right it's they're they're competing for each other and they're not necessarily thinking about what that's doing to your dopamine response and Mm -hmm. your hormones and all that stuff. I mean, I think probably tangentially they do know it, but we're not sitting here telling you it's for conspiracy. We're telling you that as a consumer, if you were to say, well, I will intuitively eat the amount of this thing that is appropriate for me if I simply let go of diet culture and I allow myself to live in this moment and enjoy this food, that it would be physically impossible because that food has been modified to enhance your appreciation of it so that you eat more and more and more than your body can intuitively tell you, no, I'm done, or this isn't adding value or whatever. And like Sarah said, for most people that comes with salty snacks and desserts because mm-hmm. it's fats and carbohydrates with sugar, salt, or all of the above included. Yeah.
1: Or, I mean, so there's some interesting – so hyperpalatable foods have actually been defined in the scientific literature as foods that have high energy density, include a carbohydrate and a fat, and include a flavor enhancer. And these are things such as salt, MSG, a lot of additives, um, additional flavorings, artificial flavorings that are added, and um, – I have this table that we can actually put in the show notes uh, from a, a scientific study that actually was looking at food addiction and um, linking the development of food addiction with um, consumption of hyperpalatable foods. So basically, these foods that are, are engineered to be addictive, um, they override our body's ability to listen to itself, and they it makes us want more. And there's, there's basically no amount of hyperpalatable food that is safe or that won't have this effect. I mean, obviously, the more of it that you consume, the more you're going to start entering this vicious cycle, have opportunistic overeating behaviors, which is a precursor to obesity and binge eating disorder. But one of the, the, the classic... Um, uh, Criteria or or properties of a hyperpalatable food is also a really extensive ingredients list. So, this table gives an example of whole foods, which are not hyperpalatable. So, something like an apple or a chicken breast, right? So, things that, again, if intuitive eating was compared with a whole foods diet, I could probably get behind it. Um, But the number of ingredients in an apple is one it's apple. Um, whereas if you were to look at, uh, (laughs) example, cinnamon toast crunch cereal, I am not trying to throw this particular cereal under the bus. This is an example out of the scientific paper. It has 27 ingredients. Um, and that's before you add the milk. And, and so it's, it's, um, it's designed. I mean, those are ingredients that are designed mostly as flavor enhancers to, to make that food something that's going to trigger that reward response so that you want more. The thing that is so dangerous about that triggering that dopamine reward system with hyperpalatable foods is that eventually the reward system becomes blunted. And so what happens is you need more and more of the hyperpalatable food in order to get the reward. And this is um, something that is seen, they're basically showing the same changes in dopamine response in um people with obesity and binge eating disorder, as you see in drug addiction and alcoholism. And and it's because of um again, this sort of, you know, it's it's doesn't start, right? It's not like you can just have like one potato chip and all of a sudden you have food addiction. Um, but it's it's rather the continuous consumption of this Um, really messing with dopamine signaling um, to the point where not only are we not listening to our body, but we've literally created an addiction to more and more of these hyperpalatable foods. And so, you know, I, again, I sort of, I I completely agree with the idea of addressing um, mental health issues, um, associations with food. I I think that um, a lot of my personal journey has been Uh, because I I do have a history of binge eating disorder and did have a very unhealthy relationship with food, a lot of my paleo journey has been addressing my emotional responses to food and behaviors around food. Uh, For example, like using food as solace when I'm upset, um, stress eating, that type of thing, like, and having to really work on recognizing when I'm eating As part of a behavior versus eating as part of hunger and recognizing when a craving is driven by legit something that my body needs versus something that's triggered by uh, an association an emotion, um, something that's not dialed in in terms of lifestyle. That's been a really, really important part of my journey. And I completely agree with recognizing that as a really fundamental aspect of health and wellness But I don't believe that you can achieve that while saying you can eat anything, like including these types of manufactured foods that are completely designed to create a system where you can't listen to your body and you become uh, addicted to food. Like it's – they're not – they're fundamentally incompatible.
0: Yeah, I agree. While you were talking, I was – remembering mike myers in the movie so i married an axe murder have, have you seen that as this reference oh, be?
1: million years ago okay. i'm not sure i remember any i might remember it once you trigger my memory there's a
0: particular scene where he plays his own father talking about the pentabulate which is like a f- group of five people who create hyper palatable foods and he's like um the colonel puts ingredients in his Kentucky Fried Chicken that makes you crave it fortnightly. And it's, I, I need Matt to insert this <laughs> clip right here. But um, it's something I reference all the time. Like I, I joke with the kids. I made them watch this movie and then I like reference back um, a lot of those clips. And so when you were talking about hyperpalatable food, all I could see in my head was Mike Myers playing his Scottish father talking about the pentabulate <laughs> and their manufactured food. So who's in this pentamulet?
1: The queen. The Vatican, the Gettys, the Rothschilds, and Colonel Sanders before he went Tetzer. Oh, I hated the Colonel with his wee
0: beady eyes <laughs> and
1: that smug look on his face. Oh, you're gonna
0: buy my chicken. Oh, Dad, how can you hate the
1: Colonel? Because he puts an addictive chemical in his chicken that makes you crave it fortnightly.
0: So, It might not be quite that far, but it is 100%, like you said, in the scientific literature and it's there, which is why it it makes it difficult to hear something that we 100% agree with, right? Like this idea of diet culture being very detrimental. You and I have talked about that so many times and it's not something that we support and we have that in common with this movement. However, what we want people to think about long term is where are you trying to get to with your health? And that's really where we want to focus the choices that we make every day. Okay, you made a choice that you don't necessarily would you make again tomorrow? There doesn't need to be guilt with that. There doesn't need to have all of this emotional um baggage associated with it it's just Mm -hmm. a matter of making a choice today that leads to the vision that you have for the future and the more whole food real food choices that you make the more you'll be able to listen to your body and then oh i'm craving a banana maybe i need potassium or do i really need this right now am i am i hungry or does it taste good like these are these are things that you can ask yourself that are important for your progress, but that aren't, you know what? I'm, I'm hungry, quote unquote, right now I'm going to eat six donuts. Like no, nobody is, yeah. is that hungry and no one is getting benefit from that nutritionally in their health journey. And so there, it's like this, I feel like our shows lately have been, it's so important to understand the gray area. Like there's so many black and white right, black and white rules out there and programs and different things that people want you to follow. And I know that the rules are easier when you think that you know 100% of what you're allowed or not allowed to do, but it's just not reality. It's not a long-term sustainable way to live. We have got to come to terms with the idea that We are in charge of the things that make us feel our best. And for most people, eating a tomato is a healthy choice. It's a, I think it's a vegetable. Maybe it's a fruit. It's technically a fruit. There's a, you know, Supreme Court case that says it's a vegetable. So who knows? The boys like pulled it up for me the other day. Technically,
1: it is a fruit. (laughs) Legally, it might have a different status.
0: Either way, that's a good choice for most people. Mm -hmm. For you and me, A tomato is not a good choice generally not if we're trying to feel our best and so that's where it's not about you know assigning emotional definition to a certain food it's like for you that might be a good choice for me it might not or vice versa and and but it takes so much time and it's still a journey that I'm on that my family is on as Mm -hmm. we work through this and I just, I just was like, oh, as I was listening to that podcast and kind of how you felt as well. So maybe what we can do is offer some recommendations to people who are feeling like they're swimming in that abyss and they're not, they're not sure. And the gray area feels very hard and overwhelming because they're still in that learning process. Like what are some things people maybe can do to troubleshoot other than intuitively eating a whole, you know, I don't know. Gallon of ice cream. Or whatever.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think that's, um, that is exactly where I was sort of hoping to go with this podcast. But before I sort of jump into like, here's, if you're not seeing results, like, here's things to consider. I do want to reinforce something that you just said, which is one of the things that we've been talking about a lot on this podcast is actually not thinking of, how we eat as a set of rules. Like I, I do agree that when you have restrict, if you define a diet based on the foods you don't eat, that doesn't make the diet healthy or not. What makes a diet healthy is what you put in your mouth, not what you avoid putting in your mouth. Um, so I, I really dislike defining a diet based on what's eliminated. I really dislike. Um, Distilling a dietary framework to a series of rules. And that's one of the reasons why I've worked so hard to create these really thorough educational resources. I think this is what's missing um, right now in public health is a really thorough education, not about what to eat or what not to eat, but really understanding what is in foods that the body needs and what is in foods that can undermine our health. And Um, and understanding, for example, right, when you combine, you know, sugar and fat and salt and 27 different ingredients that you're going to have a food that, that A, doesn't support your health and and B, undermines your ability to make good choices. And so I think it's really important to get away from rules and get more into a solid foundation of, uh, like health and diet education. Um, and that being said, there's still universal truth. So there's foods like the example of a tomato that you already um, used that are going to work for some people and not work for other people. And you don't know if you are one of those people until you try not having tomatoes for a while and then try a tomato and see how you feel. But there are still – so there's a lot of gray, but there's also still things that are going to be true for everyone. So for example – We have nutrient requirements. We have essential vitamins, essential minerals, fiber, phytochemicals, uh, protein requirements, fat requirements, slow burning carbohydrate requirements that our body needs for all of the chemical reactions that are happening in our body all the time to occur normally, right? To occur where they're supposed to, when they're supposed to, and the amount that they're supposed to. And so... Nutrient density or nutrient sufficiency—getting the nutrients that we need from food—is a universal truth. And there's many, many ways to put together a diet to achieve nutrient sufficiency. Um, Paleo and AIP are not the only show in town when it comes to nutrient sufficiency. So you you can do that in in a pescatarian way. You can do that with including legumes. Like there's there's other ways of putting together a framework to achieve nutrient sufficiency. And I think this is where we hit gray. I think there's um definitely uh, evidence that there's multiple ways that you can structure a nutrient sufficient diet that will work for people and then it becomes a question of really understanding your own body what works for your own body experimenting and keeping that principle of nutrient sufficiency in mind right all human beings need adequate sleep on a consistent basis uh, and if you don't get adequate sleep on a consistent basis, you're going to have negative health effects. Um, all human beings are uh, do not thrive in a chronic stress environment um we also need to avoid prolonged periods of being sedentary right and and activity is really important so these are like universal truths but there's a lot of different ways that you can be active and that doesn't mean that we all need to be athletes right it's it's just about moving your body you know throughout the day is is the most important thing and then having some more moderate intensity exercise which could be anything from like walking to Sumo wrestling, like it's there's there's many, many ways to implement that to impact health. And so that is the gray is recognizing that there's these universal truths, which I think is different than a rule, from which you have the amazing opportunity to really understand your body when you can detox it from things that are going to eliminate your ability to actually listen to your body. And that's that is my, my biggest criticism of intuitive eating as a uh, anti-diet is that it makes space for these things we call food that completely undermine the principles on which they're based. So I, I, I did not go into troubleshooting at all. I just went on another soapbox, didn't I?
0: I was waiting for the mic drop sound. It didn't naturally come, <laughs> I'm hoping Matt drops it in. But I, I could not agree more. I think our listeners are smart, educated, aware, and I feel confident that they feel the same. What I'm hoping is that this can be a tool that they can share with other friends that are maybe still struggling or inspire them in some sort of way on the journey that they are still on. So maybe let's do a little bit of troubleshooting mm-hmm. so that yes. we, we can help those people who are pointed to this podcast or who are aware of all these things, but need some reminders on the tools that they have in
1: their tool case. So I pulled this list out of um, the uh, seminar that I did on troubleshooting at um, my workshop um, this last past February in California and um and i will probably be including something similar in my my workshop there next year um and this was after a lot of education around the nuance of diet um the gray areas and lifestyle and so uh, before i get into this list i think the f- the first recommendation is always like have a have a solid look at what you're eating uh and is there something that you're eating that might not be working for you? Is there something that you're not eating that your body really needs? So think about that nutrient density piece. Are you eating some nutrient dense foods or, or might you be missing a really important nutrient um, based on your food choices? And you can do, um, I sort of often recommend doing like a three day food journal where you do micronutrient analysis uh, using an app like chronometer or MyFitnessPal that will give you that micronutrient data Um, and have a look. Are you consistently deficient in calcium? Are you consistently not getting enough omega-3 fats? Maybe it's just a matter of tweaking something in your diet, adding something in um, to to fill a need that's not being met by your dietary choices currently. Have a look at lifestyle. Uh, Are you getting enough sleep? Are you uh, proactive in terms of stress management? Um, Are you Including activity every single day, but avoiding overtraining. Um, are you working on human connection? Are you getting outside into nature? Those are all things that impact our health um, and and in very fundamental ways. And then if the answer is like, you know, obviously none of us are going to be able to do that kind of analysis and be like, yeah, my diet and lifestyle are perfect. Um, I'm the first person to say there's aspects of that, that I like chronically struggle with. So, uh, recognition is, is really fantastic tweaking where possible. Um, knowing that one of those things is a challenge does not mean that that is the only thing that's going on. So there are certain underlying, factors that are really common that cannot be addressed with diet and lifestyle typically. Um, And these are things that I often recommend, right, working with a functional medicine provider, doing testing with Everlywell to really understand um, these are the types of things that um, may require... Uh, a medication, may require uh, a supplement, may require some kind of short-term intervention, may require a bigger change in diet in which you're going to want some kind of professional guidance to achieve. And so... uh, If
0: I can can just interrupt before you go into that mm -hmm. list, like just reading between the lines on that, I think this is where we are saying and something in common with the intuitive eating but taking it to another level which is that it might not be food that is driving the struggle with weight that one has mm-hmm. it, it gets to a point where you f- when you feel like you're doing everything right sleeping food exercise sunlight all the things that we talk about there are things that from a history with you know your body and the struggles that you've had over a lifetime that is the reason why something is just not quite in balance and, and causing you to not see the mm-hmm. results that you want. And that's where these sort of things that Sarah's gonna jump into. So I I know you kind of like tangentially said that, but I think that it's important for for people to understand that this isn't just, you know, you, you called me out for not doing vitamin D testing, but it's the kind of thing that I really need to be doing and that a lot of people need to be doing because it could they're there's lots of things going on inside your body and hormones and reactions and m- metabolism and all that kind of stuff that really drive what people see on the outside. And that's why health is not thinness, right? Like thinness, mm-hmm. you can have a whole bunch of unhealthy stuff happening on the inside. Um, it doesn't it equate equally. So I just wanted to add
1: no a I, actually thank you because I I feel like you really. Uh, reinforce what I was trying to say in a much more eloquent way. Um, I, One of the things and the reason why I've put this list together is uh, this is sort of the opposite of where intuitive eating is going. Intuitive eating is basically like, look, your diet's not working for you, so go ahead and eat whatever as long as you're listening to your body. And I'm using air quotes right now because we've already discussed how that's not possible if you're actually eating a lot of these different um, hyperpalatable manufactured foods. But there's this other piece of this that we see in alternative health communities in general where, um, Hey, I followed this diet where I eliminated, um, you know, X, Y, and Z. So now I'm going to, that worked for me, but I didn't get this result. So now when I troubleshoot, the next thing I'm going to do is eliminate more foods. And then, Oh yeah, I I felt this when I did that. So I'm going to eliminate even more foods. And we end up, this is why there are, Fad diets that are really popular right now that are based on eating a very very limited collection of foods and going to dietary extremes, which are not healthy, which are not scientifically valid. Um, and it's it's the same it's the same the same grasping for straws. I'm not I'm not seeing the, my results. Therefore, I must be doing something wrong in terms of diet. It's it's the same emotional. Uh, frustration that leads to uh, a carnivore diet, for example, compared to, I think, intuitive eating, when there's this whole other collection of things that have nothing to do with food um, that are like, to me, they're, these are the low-hanging fruit. These are the things that are straightforward to test for. Um, that if you work with an integrative or functional medicine practitioner, that uh, managing these things is relatively straightforward, and it can make all of the pieces of the puzzle fit together, right? So all of a sudden you're basically saying, I am doing, uh, I've I've got my diet dialed in and my lifestyle dialed in, dialed in, and my body's not responding in the way that I expect to these things. There's there's a there's something there's a barrier there's something in the way and if I can remove that barrier suddenly my body gets to respond to all of those good choices that I'm making, so these are the most common barriers it's not the only thing that could be going on, but these are the places that I recommend starting with. So the first one is food sensitivities to a healthy food, um, and. Typically, this could could involve something like histamine sensitivity, sulfite sensitivity, salicylate sensitivity. Those are typically diagnosed based on a food journal and symptoms, Um, but it could be uh, an immune reaction. So an allergy would be producing IgE antibodies and an intolerance would typically be producing IgG antibodies. You can test for that. Everlywell has a food sensitivity panel. Now, do know that food sensitivity panels do have a fairly high false positive and false negative rate. So you always need to follow those up with an elimination and challenge diet whenever you you do any kind of food sensitivity testing. That is really important to then cut out that food for a month and then try and eat a little bit and see how you feel to really um, basically to confirm the results of the testing But if you're sensitive to a collection of different foods, it can be really, really difficult to figure that out with a food panel. The the next thing sort of once, um, and and whether or not food sensitivities would be where you start troubleshooting, like I always recommend to start troubleshooting based on symptoms. So what are the things that you're experiencing? Therefore, like what what path makes the most sense? So I, I would you know, I, most people don't have thousands of dollars, just go do every single test possible and then figure it out. Um, so you would do food, uh, either food journaling to identify an additional food sensitivity or something like food sensitivity testing. Typically, if you were having symptoms that timed with meals or GI symptoms, right? So, um, if, if you're Continuing to have GI symptoms. Now, there's also gut health problems that could explain GI symptoms. If um, you have low stomach acid or uh, some gallbladder shenanigans, right, that's going to inhibit your digestion or even if you're just eating stressed all the time. Um, poor digestion is, it's a pretty straightforward thing to what you can identify it in stool analysis. And then depending on what you're short on, whether it's bile or pancreatic enzymes, you can supplement when you eat. Like that's, it's a pretty straightforward thing to handle. Um, other things that could be driving gut symptoms would be something like gut dysbiosis, like SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Um, that would be tested with a hydrogen methane breath test, um, and, and hopefully followed up with with stool analysis to understand what is p- overgrowing, in order to figure out what the best course of treatment is. Um, also, there's you know various uh, persistent infections. Um, most of these are tested with blood tests. Some of them are tested again with stool analysis, and that could be things like a parasite, um, Helicobacter pylori, uh, Lyme disease. Right. So so those are things that um, you would work with a. a functional medicine, integrative medicine practitioner or specialist in order to do that type of diagnostic. Um, Another really common thing, though, is hormone imbalances. And uh, this obviously could include sex hormone imbalances, but also uh, subclinical hypothyroidism is incredibly common. There are estimates that upwards of 20 to 30 percent of people have a thyroid that's just it's not hypothyroidism. It's just not normal thyroidism, right? It's just not quite up to snuff. And that can be, uh, related to, I mean, it can be driven by things like early autoimmune, but it can also be like related to stress. Um, so when we're stressed, we tend to not convert, uh, the pro-hormone T4 into T3. Instead, we convert it into something called reverse T3, which is not active. And so, um, having a sense of what your thyroid is doing can be really, really um, important. And especially if you have resistance to weight loss, which I think is a really, really common um, situation that has people adopt a more extreme dietary strategy. And I would call the intuitive eating anti-diet still an extreme dietary strategy. It's like the extreme opposite of the rules-based one, but it's it's still, you know, I think getting off course in terms of understanding how food actually impacts health, because it is not just energy in and energy out. Um, so uh, hypothyroidism, surprisingly common. And the other one is Uh, HPA axis dysfunction is the technical term, just like increased intestinal permeability is the technical term for leaky gut. If you say adrenal fatigue to a regular doctor, they will look at you like you're crazy. And it's becoming one of these terms that, as a colloquial term, has really aggravated the conventional medicine community. So HPA axis dysfunction basically refers to any kind of abnormalities in your physiological stress response. And that is typically measured with a saliva test. Again, this is testing that you can do through Everly Well, uh, where you're looking at your cortisol levels. Um, There are simple tests that will just look at your morning cortisol, and then there's the uh, time frame test where you'll measure your cortisol four times throughout the day. Um, And understand, right, if your cortisol is too high when it's supposed to be lower at a different time of day, too low when it's supposed to be higher, depending on the time of day, that can impact sleep quality. It can impact digestion. It impacts metabolism. it, It can impact your thyroid function. It actually can cause sex hormone imbalances. And that is typically the consequence of chronic stress. Um, if you are chronically stressed, if uh, and also um, chronic sleep inadequacy can also contribute to adrenal dysfunction um, or HPA axis dysfunction because it, it can be driven by – it's not necessarily driven by how the adrenals are working. This can be driven by the entire hypothalamic pituitary axis. So it could just be that your brain is continuously sending too strong of a signal to your adrenal glands to produce cortisol. And your adrenal glands are totally doing what they're supposed to be doing. Your adrenal glands are working totally normally given the signal they're, they're getting. Um, but depending on what your cortisol is actually doing at different times of day, there are um, herbs called adaptogens that impact um, adrenal function. And you some suppress adrenal function, some stimulate it. So again, based on your test results, you would definitely want to work with a practitioner who really understands adaptogens. Um, This is not a situation of like, go to the supplement store and find an adrenal support supplement. Those are usually a mix of stimulators and suppressors, and they're generally not the right approach. Um, Really what you want to do is sort of normalize your cortisol throughout the day. So if it's at a particular time of day, you would want to take a stimulator. And depending on how low it is, a weak stimulator or a strong stimulator, if it's too high at a particular time of day, you would want to take an inhibitor. Um, and then there are some nutrients that can help support the whole system, things like magnesium and vitamin C. And so those hormone imbalances, um, and, th- and those are, I think, the three most common, right? So imbalances in sex hormones, in thyroid hormones, and in adrenal hormones are the most common <laughs> um, uh, underlying challenges to having our bodies respond to our healthy diet and lifestyle choices. And they can be, it's basically the consequence of typically the consequence of either external life factors that we have no control of. I mean, there are distressful events in life and it doesn't matter, um, how dialed in all of your lifestyle, routines are sometimes the universe just has it in for you in terms of stress. Um, and sometimes it's, uh, a highlighting the need for being more proactive when it comes to stress management and sleep hygiene and all of those things. And so having an imbalance there, there's typically some kind of a supplement or medication that can help. Um, but often it that has to be done in conjunction with, um, typically lifestyle priorities. So, you know, if it's chronic stress, driving HPA axis dysfunction, getting more better sleep on a regular schedule, um, you know, learning how to meditate or go out for, for nature walks, right? It, it it really highlights the need for um, a, a uh, more rigorous, proactive approach to stress management for you at that time. That doesn't mean that you, like it's you can completely recover um, from all of these things, uh, it, with the exception of, you know, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, in which there may be permanent damage to the thyroid, requiring long-term thyroid hormone replacement. But um, these are these are tests that can be done that can help direct. And then the last sort of category is severe nutrient deficiencies. So we talked um, on the vitamin D show, which is the last show that Everly Well sponsored about how challenging it is to bring our vitamin D levels up to normal with dietary sources and sun exposure. And that if you actually have especially severe vitamin D insufficiency, that supplementation is is generally the fix for that. And that can be the case for a lot of other types of nutrient deficiencies. So doing a nutrient deficiency test can sort of highlight if if you're really deficient in something, you may want to supplement to get your levels back up and then work on the dietary aspect. But sometimes it's, it's just not feasible to get sufficient quantities from foods when you're starting from a place of severe deficiency. And severe deficiency in any vitamin or mineral can cause problems, right? So B vitamins are all integral to metabolism. Vitamin C is a a key antioxidant, very important for bone health, connective tissue health, skin health, immune system health, right? So every single nutrient has multiple roles in the human body that uh, in all of those biochemical pathways where those nutrients are either uh, a cofactor, so they're regulating the chemical reactions, or they are a substrate, so they're used up in the chemical reaction. If you don't have enough of those nutrients, that chemical reaction is not going to occur in the right way, right, or in the right amount. And so... Testing for nutrient deficiencies, especially if you're coming from a place of poor diet or you're challenged with inefficient digestion, um, those can be a a really important missing piece. And it's one of the things that's so frustrating with the sort of – I think it's really human nature to um, be attracted to these more extreme approaches – is if nutrient deficiency is the thing that's holding you back from health, cutting out more foods or embracing junk food and not feeling guilty about it, those are not going to be approaches that are going to correct that nutrient deficiency. In fact, they're going to potentially magnify it. And so I think understanding that um, even when it's related to food, changing food is not always the solution. And, um, And it's why I think increasing our education around health topics so that more people really understand the universal truths about diet and lifestyle, uh, where all the gray areas are, where you have flexibility versus um, the need for self-experimentation, and then where to actually troubleshoot in a smart way is really, really important for addressing all of the current crises in public health and I, I, to bring this back to my my overarching driving factor is I, I just don't think that whether you embrace dietary rules or you're like super anti-rule, like I don't think that's the solution. I think the solution is a, a more thorough education for everyone.
0: I was on mute, but I was like... Jazz hands, <laughs> fists in the air, like, yes. No, I wholeheartedly, completely agree. And you and I have talked so much about this part of our journey and how it works in harmony with all of the other things that we do to feel our best and live a healthy life that is not about aesthetics, but is about really working towards ideal health which is an ongoing journey and it changes based on like you said stress sleep all that kind of stuff seasonality right like all of that plays into overall health and I think it's important that people give themselves the grace to know that those things are affecting them and that nothing is static you you know you can do everything right one day and wake up the next not feeling your best. And that is not a personal attack on you. That is not because you did something wrong that you need to feel guilty about. It's a a sign and a symptom for you to say, okay, let me listen, let me test, let me do these things and work towards feeling my best. And um, I hope that If you had never heard of this formal intuitive eating process before, which, you know, gives permission for everything under the sun, essentially, um, this is not our way of telling you to, you know, go learn more about it, um, but more take the things that we are, are in agreement on that is, you know, absolutely away from diet culture, but with this added idealization of health. Like I think if we always say part of this was wrapped up in this fat phobia concept with me and I was hyped up about it after I'd been through some, um, tests with doctors and stuff like that as, as part of how I found this and, um, was, was feeling very frustrated and shared in social media that I was, um, feeling frustrated about some of the things that I had experienced when I went into doctors and assumptions were made about my health or about my activity levels or whatever, based on someone looking at me. And ultimately, the diagnosis ended up coming from myself and some Googling and talking to Sarah and different kinds of things and then realizing what was actually going on because I wasn't getting the help I needed. And so when I was sharing in social media about that, there were several people who pointed to this intuitive eating as as a a thing to do, as to get away from fat phobia, which is a known thing. And and I think the interesting thing for me is if we're just focused on health, like I I just, I I know it's maybe too simple of a concept. I I don't know. Right. But it's like, it's not about the way you look. It's not about, you know, what you are or aren't eating and all of those things. Right. It's like all of that goes into when and how can we feel our best and live our healthiest Mm -hmm. life period. And if that is if that is the guiding light for us, like if if we're going to put some less gray around it, right? Like if you want rules, the rule is ask yourself, is this going to help me feel my best? And the problem that I have with that being a hard and fast rule is that there are some things that you may choose to do that is not necessarily going to help you feel your best, but you can balance it out with, you know, nutrient, dense foods the rest of the time and all of that stuff right like that's I think where we all just have a problem with gray versus black and white and and where to play into it all and and coming up with well how often you know this 8020 rule right like what what is the right amount of those gray area foods and blah 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 like there is no rule for that like someone can tell you 8020 but maybe your body can't take more than 10% or maybe if you're an athlete you can do 50% you know like it's it really just depends on you and your body and how you feel on the path to health. And it's not just about feeling, it's also about testing, because you might tell yourself, well, you know, I'm an athlete, and I, I do all this stuff. And I I feel good, I can, you know, run five miles. But then if you take a test, and your cortisol is all over the place, um, maybe there are things that are contributing to that about your lifestyle that can be fixed. So Mm -hmm. This just ended up being a ramble as to you just putting the nail in and making it <laughs> wonderful. But I I think for me, it's just difficult because it's a part of a community that I understand. I really, yeah. genuinely, I get it. Like diet culture is awful. And the mm-hmm. idea of, you know, being and doing a certain thing to look a certain way is uh, like, I get it. I'm I'm so on board. But I'm just not on board with the idea of walking away entirely from that because health will help you live a longer better life and so it's a matter of that nuance of of finding a way to be that right to be healthy what does that look like and
1: it's so hard to define well and I think what what you brought back to this conversation to bring this back to, I mean, this thing that we've talked about on the show so many times, the words thin and the words healthy do not mean the same thing. And you can be thin and healthy at the same time, and you can be thin and unhealthy and you can be healthy and not thin. And so you know, we've talked about this on the show many times of getting away from this rule-based approach, this diet culture, um, getting away from thin as the primary goal and back to healthy as the primary goal and the very complicated ways in which we can measure health, both quantitatively and qualitatively. And I think that I struggled the same as you when I was sort of reading up about intuitive eating that I'm like, yeah, all right, that sounds great. And then like, record screeching, what? <laughs> no, that is completely wrong because food quality matters. We have to nourish our bodies. We can't, it's not an everything in moderation. That is not what our bodies need. And we can, we can implement, uh, our dietary choices To make room for treats. We don't need to feel guilty about making a choice that's suboptimal. Like, that is, I really completely agree with ditching the diet culture mentality. But it does matter what we put into our bodies. And food can make us feel lethargic and bloated. And there are biochemical responses to food. Food is rewarding. We are programmed to celebrate with food, to socialize with food, um, to human bonding over food has, has, I mean, monkeys bond over food. This is, this is a, a thing that, that, uh, we are, um, wired to, to do and to ignore that, to basically say that any emotional response you have to food means that you have some kind of, um, mental health issue that needs to be addressed. I, I think is wrong, but I do completely agree with the fact that addressing um, our unhealthy emotional attachments to food and our our mental health around food issues is a really important part of our health journeys. So, it's very frustrating for me to um, see this type of messaging, basically, um, basically preying on people who are frustrated and need answers. And then to give them this answer of um, it doesn't matter, don't care, <laughs> just just be better at listening to your body.
0: Well, not just uh, that, but also you know go go through this program or do, mm-hmm. do this thing in order to be able to intuitively eat. I think, um, it's it, I I like the word that you used, prey on people, because I I don't think that there's any sort of um, in tension there to do that but i i do think that it does um find people who are really desperately searching for something to feel better who are struggling you know emotionally physically or both with what they're dealing with and then puts them on an unintentional roller coaster that is just as bad for them potentially as mm-hmm. what they were doing before and so That's where, you know, I, I also liked what you said earlier about, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, strict paleo or AIP, like for some people lentils works and for, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like we're not, we're not telling you exactly what that solution is for you, but what we're saying is that you have to know your body, not just based on what a dopamine response is telling you about food but to do the testing and to focus on health and then find those foods that nourish your body. So as a reminder, if you are um, thinking about that and wanting to do the testing, we suggest you use the everlywell.com slash the paleo view link. Um, this is a test both Sarah and I use for personal um, information about our own bodies as it relates to our health and you can get 15% off with code the paleo view Um, but I just want to also remind people that you don't need to put emotion with food and I, I do agree with that and so whatever it was you did yesterday or if this was something you were doing or not doing or whatever like we're not here to make judgments on you we're here to help you live your healthiest life and we want to empower you with tools like everly well like nutrient um, profile testing and all of that kind of stuff so that you can figure out what maybe is making you feel lethargic or bloated because we want you to live your best life and feel your best that is that is solely our goal here (laughs) emotionally and physically to to help you
1: live your best life mic drop thanks for listening and we'll be back next week Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. I'm going to pause there because my cat is coughing up a hairball, and I don't know if the microphone's picking it up, but it's very, very distracting for me right now. And I bet that's Tilly. Is that Tilly? Is that you? Go. Go cough up a hairball somewhere else, like not on a carpet. Go, go, go. That farther than the doorway. Oh, she knows I'm tied down. Gonna throw this bottle at you. <laughs> she knows I'm tied down. <laughs> okay. Seeking the truth never gets old.